Thanks for joining us for the Belgium Community Church Sermon Podcast. Our current series is called Not Alone. Even if we are surrounded with people, many of us feel alone at Christmas. Something or someone feels missing. But if the Christmas baby is truly God with us, then that means that no one is alone this Christmas. My college had room checks, I think it was every Thursday, because... Girls were only allowed in the dorm, our, the guy's dorm on Saturday night. And so they would do room check on Thursday to make sure that your room's not a wreck, that you're not tearing things up. And it was kind of their way of promoting cleanliness in the rooms. And as the semester went on, my, uh, the RA on my floor commented, he said, I don't even need to check your room because everything's exactly the same as it was left last week. And in the years since then, I've realized that just because things are organized doesn't mean things are clean. But at the time, I thought... An organized room was a clean room. And so uh, dust was collecting in some of those places, but hey, the books were in the same spot that they were, the towels in the same spot that it was in. And later I realized that just because you were clean when you got out of the shower doesn't mean the towel it stays clean the whole semester. But I, uh, at the time, like everything went in exactly the same spot all the time. Nothing was ever out of place in my room. And it was kind of unusual because I'd never been like that before. I was never particularly detailed about things like that, never made sure that the stacks were all just right, that the towels in its exact spot, and that my shoes were in their right spot. And I was like, something weird happened. I moved out of the dorm at the end of the, my freshman year and uh, moved into the basement of uh, some relative's house nearby. And uh, then junior year, I moved back onto campus. Then I had a room with uh, my senior year with some friends. And it was never like my freshman year. My freshman year, something happened. And I didn't understand it until I was in a class. And one of the professors said, he was talking about some psychological stuff, and so he said that oftentimes people whose lives are out of control express control in one specific area. And I went, that's what happened. My freshman year was so hard because I had a roommate that wanted to stay up till 2 a.m., and I'm no good after 10 p.m. Like, the, the guys would be in the hallway and they'd stack up a bunch of mattresses and run and slam into it right outside my door. And so I never got to sleep when I wanted to sleep. I never got to control the things that I wanted to control. And I realized that something happened that year and I expressed the only control the only way I knew how, which was to put things back in the place they were supposed to go. My life was out of control and so I tried to express some control in one specific area. I'm telling you that story because I, I wonder... If you, like me, look at 2019, or maybe you look ahead to 2020 and you go, there are a lot of things I can't control right now. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I can't control what's happening at home. There's more than one person and more than one sinner involved in this situation, and I don't get to make choices, and I don't get to control things for somebody else. Maybe it's an extended family member that you're like, I can't control what happens with my parents with my grandparents, with my in-laws. I don't get to control what happens with my brother-in-law or my sister-in-law. Maybe it's something that happens at work or you're out of work and you're like, there's just parts of my life that are out of control. And so I, I can start to grab hold of my life and I, 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 I want to get some control here because I, I can't bear to think of so many things that are going wrong or that could go wrong. Maybe some of you are like that here today. And we come to Christmas wrestling with those issues of control, the wrestling with those issues of being out of control. And, and what does Christmas have for us 
Those of us wrestling with those control issues, the world that seems out of control, a life, a family, a job that seems out of control, what does Christmas and the Christmas story have to say to us in those places? Go ahead and turn with me to the book of Matthew. We've been walking through the, the, the Christmas story in the book of Matthew this year. Matthew starts with the story of Jesus' genealogy. This is the story of where Jesus comes from. And then it, it tells the story of how Joseph comes to take Jesus as his own son. And then Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. Is when the wise men, the kings, the magi come to visit Jesus. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, wise men or kings, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, we pray that we will hear clearly from you, that we will hear clearly from you about your control and your plan and how nothing can put it at risk. In Jesus' name, amen. What we, what we start here is Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The, the common depictions of Christmas have the, the wise men, the magi coming that night with the shepherds to the stable where Jesus was born, but because of something that's going to happen further in the story, and the fact that they come, when they meet him, they come to a house, it seems like it's several years later, or probably about two years later. And uh, so the Magi come. Magi is kind of a mysterious word. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible. It's not a super common word. Uh, so that's why some translations say Magi, some people say wise men. But they were from the east, probably Persia, something kind of like Iran now. Um, they were some kind of attendants in the courts of the kings of Persia. And they come to Jerusalem because that would be where the king would be born, right? The king would be born in the capital city. And so they go to the capital city and they go and ask, where has the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The story says that King Herod is greatly disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. You see, King Herod was not actually, a, he was king of the Jews, but he was not Jewish. He had been appointed by the Romans. His family was from the south of, of uh, Israel. And so they had appointed him king or, or kind of governor of Judea. And so King Herod hears the news that a king has been born. And King Herod is greatly disturbed. King Herod is the kind of king who killed his favorite wife, which is what's such an unusual term, but had multiple wives, and he killed his favorite wife because he thought she was scheming against him. He killed three of his sons. He killed his uncle. He killed anybody that was any kind of rival to him. It wasn't just, oh, well, man, there might be a different king. No, this is a guy who 
was consumed with conspiracy theories, threatening anybody that threatened his kingdom. Not even just threatening, but killing anybody that threatened his kingdom. And so when the the Magi come and say, where is the king born of the Jews? This is a threat to King Herod. And Herod knows it. So he's greatly disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And so he calls together the leaders and says, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they have an answer immediately. They know. They said, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, in Judea. And so they, they read this quotation from the Old Testament, from the book of Micah, that says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the expectation of the leaders is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And yet, they stay in Jerusalem. And so Herod calls the Magi to him secretly, finds out how long ago the star that had appeared to them had appeared, and then he says to them, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I I too may go and worship him. Herod, the one that kills any rival to his throne, secretly finds out the time and says, make sure you tell me so I can worship him too. So So the Magi go to Bethlehem, verse 9 says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Here is the, this, this crisis moment in the story. The Magi go to the house where Jesus and Mary are located. And they, they are, the passage says that they are greatly, greatly overjoyed. It just piles up. They rejoice with overwhelmingly great joy. Just keeps piling up this kind of joy that they have when they go in the house. And they bow down. They worship Him. But the crisis comes. And then it becomes, now what do they do? Do they go back and tell Herod, hey, look, we found him? Or do we, do we go off secretly, but being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. And so the, the Magi see Jesus for who he is and realize, yeah, we, we should not go and tell Herod who this baby king is. So the Magi leave and they go. And then verse 13 turns to Joseph. Because at this point, Jesus is at risk. More than just Jesus. If Jesus is the Messiah, then God's plan is at risk. Herod knows his kingdom's at risk. But God's plan is at risk at this moment. The Magi leave so that Herod doesn't know and go off secretly. But there's still this looming threat that Herod could come and kill baby Jesus just like he killed his favorite wife and his sons that he thought were scheming against him and his uncle. And so verse 13 says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is searching for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And so God is at work in this protecting Jesus 
protecting Jesus and fulfilling the, these passages of Scripture, this, these passages of Scripture just begin piling up with this fulfills this, and this fulfills this, and this, is, this fulfills this. So God's plan is actually going forward even as Herod comes in trying to threaten, trying to risk, no, this isn't going to happen. So Jesus, with Mary and Joseph, goes down to Egypt. Then verse 16 says, what is Herod going to do? When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And so Herod, his, his rule and his control and his plans are at risk. And so he lashes out, killing all the baby boys two years old and under in that region. Bethlehem is only five miles away from Jerusalem. And so all throughout that region, he kills anybody and anything that threatens his control and his rule. And yet, Jesus has already escaped God's plan is already going forward and Herod Herod can't put it at risk. And so we find in verse 19, after Herod died, Herod, the the one who had been lashing out at anybody that risks his control, anybody that risks his plans, is the one that ends up dying, not Jesus. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, Joseph was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So, what was, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophet that he would be called a Nazarene. What we see in this story is this, this image of two kings the Magi come to worship the, the baby that was born king. And they go and they face and see and tell the, the king of the Jews. And so the question is, whose control, whose plan, whose reign is going to continue here? Is it going to be Herod, who seems so good at controlling things? Or is it going to be this baby, born king? What, we are, what I want to show you in this passage is I want to show you three things that we learned from it. What we learn from this passage about these two, from these two kings is we learned that Jesus is your shepherd king right now. Jesus is your shepherd king right now. Notice what the Magi say when they come. They say, where is the baby born king? They don't say, where is the baby born to be king? That would seem to indicate that it could have been Herod's son that they were looking for. But they knew, no, this baby was born king right now. He's ruling and reigning right now. And so the Magi come to worship to find the one that is born king right now. And this passage describes Jesus as the, the king. The, one, the king is one who has control. The king is the one that is responsible for that whole area, that whole territory, and in this case, the whole earth. And this passage says that he was born king and no, no king of men can threaten the control and the rule of that baby king this Christmas. This passage points to him as the baby king, but it also points to him as the one that is humble and despised. The end of the passage says, this fulfills what was said to the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. There's not a prophecy in the Old Testament 
regarding the, uh, regarding the city of Nazareth. But the word Nazareth was a, a, a euphemism for somebody that is despised and rejected. Somebody that is humble and that's not good enough. The, the kind of person that everybody overlooks and brushes aside. And this, this passage says that Jesus would be the one that was humble and despised, that would be rejected because of where he was from, and that nobody would pay any attention. This passage says that Jesus is the true Israel. When it says that out of Egypt I called my son, we see in the Old Testament these images of, the, of God sending his people down into slavery in Egypt and then calling them up out of Egypt them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, failing test after test, going into the land, falling into disobedience and rebellion against God time and time again. And so after 400 years of silence, God Himself comes as the true Israel, going down to Egypt, coming out to live in the land in obedience, tested in the wilderness for 40 days and passing the test. Jesus is the true Israel in this passage. And then the passage says that for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus, the baby king, the one born king is the shepherd. The one who would tend his people. Who would, who would care for them and take them by the water that they need. That would make them lie down in green pastures. That would feed them. That would correct them. That would ward off all the wolves that are going to try to attack them. This passage says that Jesus is the shepherd king for God's people right now. He's the shepherd king for you, and he's the shepherd king for me. Jesus is the one that comes along to feed you the things that you need to make you lie down in those places. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like God's always on duty, but this passage says that this baby, this king, will shepherd God's people. And so that means that right now, he is... Right now, He is shepherding you. He is warding off wolves that you, can't, that you can't attack. You can't guard yourself from those wolves. This passage says that the shepherd king is shepherding you right now here at Christmas. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that Jesus is God's yes to all of His promises. That, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God had promised to do and that Jesus is God's great yes over his people. And so as we look at this passage, see this shepherd king who's ruling and reigning right now, who's humble and despised, who's the true Israel, who's actually king, not the fake king installed by men. We end up seeing that Jesus is God's great yes for us here at Christmas. We end up seeing here in this passage that we can rest that Jesus is a shepherd, Jesus is our king, and that nobody's going to threaten his control, nobody is going to threaten his plan. That brings us to the second thing we see in this passage, is that God's purpose and control will not be stopped. You see, this, this passage is filled with Herod's threats. This passage is filled with Herod trying to control the situation and say, no, this is my kingdom, and I will fight and I will take it back from anybody that threatens it. And so what we see in this as we ultimately, Herod fails. He's not able to kill baby Jesus. He's not able to keep the kingdom for himself. And ultimately, Herod dies in this passage. What we find is that nobody risks God to overturn God's control and his plan. 
You see, Jesus is the baby king that was born to die, but not on Herod's time. Herod had his own plan and his own timetable, but because it was not God's timetable, he could not threaten, risk, or overturn what God was doing. We see that throughout the book of Matthew as Jesus is once about to be thrown off a cliff by a crowd, but then just walks straight through the crowd, walks straight out of it. It's what we see when Jesus is in a storm-tossed boat and His disciples who are seasoned fishermen think, don't you, aren't, don't you care that we're about to die? It's what we see when Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own will. What we find in this is that nobody overturns God's plan and God's control. Even though Jesus is born, is born to die in our place, it's born to die on God's timetable. And so, as you look at your life, as you look at 2019, as you look at 2020, as we go into a new decade, God's plan and His control is not going to be stopped. We see that at Christmas. Nothing can happen in 2020 that is outside of His plan and His control. Nobody that's going to lash out and risk overturning everything that God wanted to do. He's not going to sit in heaven wringing His hands and say, Oh man, what am I going to do now? The psalmist says that the kings of the earth laugh. They defy God, but nobody can stop God's control and His plan. And then the third thing that we see in this passage is which king will we worship? Which king will we worship? I'm, one of the things in this passage that stops me and has stopped me now for several weeks is in verses 10 and 11 that says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I mentioned earlier that what this translation translates with one word, they were overjoyed. The passage says it with four words. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Let's just pile up all the words that we know and put them all together and say that's how great this is. That their, their joy was so full that they had to take four words to say it. The Magi went, they saw the star, came to the house, they were overjoyed. And it says that they bowed down and they worshipped him. They, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They opened their treasure box. Worship for them was not a song. It was actually a, here's my treasure box. Take the very best stuff that I have. And as I read that in this story, I want that for me. I want to come to Christmas with that exceedingly great joy so that my pockets, so that my, my bank account, so that everything I have gets opened up. That's what I want for you is that at Christmas we would see who Jesus is and what he's actually like and say, I will open up my very best. You can have my whole bank account. We can limit it to, oh, they brought these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but I am arrested by this detail that they opened their treasure boxes. They had everything they've got. Jesus, this baby king is worth everything to us. And so the question is, are we going to be like Herod and say, hey, please tell me so I can go and worship too? Or are we going to be like Magi that fall down and say, here's the best stuff that I have. I want you this Christmas, Jesus. Jesus, I think that you are worth so much that I am filled with joy. Nobody can explain to me what this joy is like. So will we be like Magi? Will we be like Herod? with this false sense of worship? Or will, be like we, will we be like the people of Jerusalem who hear the news, they're disturbed by the news, 
and they don't even go to see it. Notice, it says that they were disturbed along with Herod. They know where the baby's supposed to be born, and yet they didn't even travel the five miles it would take to go and see. They couldn't even be bothered to disturb and disrupt their lives to go and see this baby king that's worth opening your treasure box for. This baby king who is in control of 2020 and every year after it. They couldn't even be bothered. Well, quite honestly, more often I'm like the crowd than I am like the magi. More often I'm like the crowd that's too busy with my own plans, with my own to-do list, with my own cool projects that I love to work on. And I, I can't even be bothered to look up and rejoice with exceedingly great joy that Jesus has come and He is ruling and reigning with, for me right now. Where is the good news? Maybe you're like me, and Jesus has been somebody that we celebrate a couple of times a year, maybe we celebrate once a week, and we're just like the crowds that can't even be bothered to go and see Jesus day after day. Where is the good news in this passage for us? Where is the good news for those of us that are like Herod, that our, our worship is really just trying to protect ourselves, trying to, trying to defend ourselves? It's not true worship from true hearts. Where's the good news for us? The good news is that even though Herod tried to kill Jesus and did not succeed, that one day he would die for you and for me. Because God would know that, this, that even though Jesus had done nothing wrong, the only way for you and I to be saved is that He would have to die in our place. The story of the Bible is the story of people like the crowds that cannot be bothered. The story of the Bible is people like Herod that say that we will have no rival. God will not be king over us. We will not obey Him. We will not worship Him. We will not follow Him. And the Bible calls that sin. The Bible says that the judgment of sin is death. But instead of leaving us there at Christmas, Matthew says that Jesus comes to save us from our sins. And so everything that Jesus says and does in the book of Matthew is done so that it can be our perfect record. So that everything that Jesus does in His life can be credited to us because His death is credited to us. So then we become raised with Him to new life so that we can actually worship from true hearts. So that we can come and open our treasure boxes so that God can be pleased with us. Not because of the size of what we give Him, but because we have that perfect record of the baby who is worshipped in this passage. How do we do that? How does, a person, how does a person become a Christian? How does a person become a true worshiper? person becomes a true worshiper by repenting of sin. That is a, a turning away from sin. God, I, I am turning away from living for myself and my own kingdom. And I will turn and trust you. Jesus, I will take your life for my life. I will take your death for my death. And I will follow you from this point forward. If you have questions about that, please grab me. Grab the friend that brought you. Grab somebody and say, I want to be a worshiper like the Magi. I want the perfect record of this baby that saves people from their sins. Because then, what happens when we begin to exult and worship this King whose plan and control will not be stopped, then our Christmas 
becomes a time where we can rejoice, not that we have control, but that He has control. We can, we can be overjoyed with exceedingly great joy because His kingdom will not end. Not in 2020, not in 2030, not in 2040, not in 2050. This King's control and plan will never end. So imagine what it looks like for one person to worship at Christmas that way. We started talking about what it's like when, when life feels out of control and we start grabbing tightly, trying to control it. The antidote to that control that we want to have in our, in our lives, the antidote to that is actually worship. Not trying to figure out how do I let go of this. It's actually Jesus is worth it. And Jesus is ruling and reigning. And so I can worship this Christmas and so I can let go. If he's worth all that, I can let go of this control. I can let go of this. And then imagine what begins to happen as that kind of exceedingly great joy in a baby king, in a victorious king, begins to take root. Imagine what it looks like in a house when Christmas is, a, is an image of those magi, those wise men, opening their treasure boxes and saying, Jesus, you can have the very best we have because you are worth it. Imagine what it looks like in a community when, when there's a church filled with exceedingly great joy, not exceedingly great strategy, not exceedingly great gifts, not exceedingly great plans, actually exceedingly great joy that Jesus is in control and He is working out His plan in us. That is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about worshiping the God who is in control and He will never be stopped. Let's pray. God, we thank you that at Christmas you call us to worship. You call us to exalt. You, exalt, you call us to rejoice. Help us to do that. Holy Spirit, come on us so that we rejoice with exceedingly great joy in you whose plan and control will never be stopped. Pray to all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad you joined us for Not Alone. Please connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and at BelgiumChurch.com.